0: Humanities
1: and Social Sciences. Yes, welcome to another episode of Oh, the Humanities and the Social Sciences, the hashtag, hashtag podcast. In this episode, I'm joined by Kurt Challoner, who will speak about project based learning, problem based learning, flip learning, and religious education. I'm joined uh, by Kurt Challoner. Um, welcome, Kurt.
0: Oh, yeah, Thanks, Marco. Great to be here.
1: Thank you for uh, giving up your time to talk PBL and RE for the podcast.
0: No, my pleasure. My pleasure, mate.
1: So, um, Kurt, would you give us a bit of a background about yourself? Yeah, what's your role in education?
0: Yeah, um, so I'm a secondary uh, Hizian religion teacher. Um, up until uh, 2016, I was in a school um, in Sydney. I was in um, Parramatta Maris High School uh, and had a, a numerous roles there. Um, and until last year, well, last year I took a role um, up in the Northern Rivers uh, working in Catholic education up here, um, more at a systems level um, in the Catholic education office, um, supporting uh, teachers of religious education in the schools. Okay, and
1: have you have you found that that switch actually from going from um, you know you know uh, uh, um, urban to rural and then going from being in a school to being at the system level?
0: Yeah, well, certainly some of the challenges are, are very different um, in the schools themselves. So um, you know, having a really good understanding of context um, is important. I came from the country originally, so I've got a bit of an idea, but every place has its own uh, unique uh, challenges. Um, and and moving to the system level has been really really interesting and I've done a lot of learning um, as of as I've spent uh, my time up here uh, in in terms of understanding what um, has a big impact um, from that systems level and and trying to sit on the balcony a little bit more and see where where schools are travelling and uh, you know a better use of data uh, more inquiry into into. The challenges schools are facing and the best ways to to adapt to to meet those needs uh, certainly not without its challenges. But it's uh, it's been a really good experience to um, to come into a system and see uh, see how things work a little bit more differently.
1: Now you're going to speak to us about uh, flip learning and PBL. Now, when I say PBL, which uh, which version of it are, are we uh, looking at? Problem-based learning, project-based learning, phenomenon-based learning.
0: Yeah, it will, uh, yeah, that's right. That's probably one of the issues that we have today with, uh, with all, all the PBLs. There's also um, uh, their positive behaviour for learning, which is completely distinct as a, as a, a well being or pastoral care uh, model, uh, which often gets uh, uh, people confused as well. So my experience has been with uh, project-based learning and problem-based learning, which are very similar, but they're not the same thing and, and they are quite unique uh, and, and offer similar benefits and challenges. But my experience has been um, uh, with both of those pedagogies. Uh, in my last school, we did a lot of work in the junior years with project-based learning. In fact, everything was taught with project-based learning. Um, and uh, in year 11, uh, in the preliminary HSC year, we we predominantly used a, a problem-based learning approach um, specifically for that cohort because it was a little bit more uh, nuanced and fit their needs a little bit better Um Yeah, so they are quite different. The the big difference is between the two. With with project-based learning, you are really working towards a culminating product uh, that you're submitting and and perhaps talking to. uh, And it's generally over a longer time period as well. Uh, Still sustained inquiry, still working as a group, uh, but over a longer time period with an end product that you're producing uh, that's in project-based learning. With problem-based learning, uh, as the name implies, it tends to be a little bit more focused around um, a problem. Um, that you're trying to solve. Um, and it's often a, a much shorter time period. It might even be uh, a problem in one day or a problem in a series of um, maybe three or four one hour blocks. Um, and rather than producing something to submit um, as, a, as an end product, as a summative task, you're often just providing a solution to the problem. And uh, rather than being one. Um, Uh, Solution or a singular solution to that problem, there should be uh, infinite numbers of solutions which are equally as acceptable um, in problem-based learning and and that's the challenge of crafting effective problems. Uh, One of the other challenges with problem-based learning is you do need uh, to start with some underlying content. It's very hard to solve a problem when you have no, uh, no base level or understanding of the content. Um, that's what they found in in medicine uh, which is really where problem-based learning took off Uh, most medical institutes undertake a a problem-based learning approach and they found uh, in some studies that uh, students in their third and fourth year who've got a a greater breadth of understanding of um, of the relationships of the systems in the body uh, are much better able to engage in problem-based learning because they just have the content knowledge to support it
1: okay fantastic now um this this was uh, implemented across all of all of Ginny, so seven through to ten at, at your last school. You were saying were assessment tasks uh, undertaken in a PBL style as well, or were they left as as you know as tr- more traditional tasks, or was this across the board, or was this only for school, like you know d- just day to day classwork that you did the PBL approach.
0: No, no, no. So assessments are all um, all a part of the uh, the PBL projects. Um, what, you, what we might have had, you might have had six six units throughout a year. Um, uh, for for example, for religious education or for HISI or or another hard subject. But um, uh, you might have six units that you, you taught, and only perhaps four of those units or three of those projects were formally assessed. Um, others were still treated as a project, rolled out like any other project, provided with an assessment rubric, uh, provided with a, an assessment notification, whoever the waiting would just be zero just to have some kind of consistency of approach. Because with project-based learning, because you're putting the assessment front and centre at the start of the unit um, when you launch that project, you're really working towards a rubric um, uh, throughout that project. So uh, there's a lot of benefits that way. Um, so the students were sometimes... Um, Uh, assessed individually, so sometimes there might have been a formally weighted uh, assessment component in the middle of a project as almost a formative task that was being assessed. Um, Sometimes it might have been, the formal component might have been at the end of the unit, sometimes they were individual, most of the time they were um, a group-based task, plus we we would also include um, formal examinations as well um, as a part of that formal assessment approach, just because we know that there's a a value in having students um, learn how to sit uh, examinations Whilst ever we're still working towards an HSC in New South Wales. Yeah. And with with
1: with the problem based learning approach, as you mentioned, that there um you know could be any number of uh, end results really. Mm-hmm. How do you how do you, yeah, how yeah. you how do you assess that in a consistent way? You know, with with um, with so many different uh, possible uh, results coming out, how do you how do you assess that consistently and fairly?
0: Yeah, well, I guess that's the challenge, isn't it? It's really that's where uh, for the problem crafter and the problem facilitator, it's really having a good understanding of your own content um, and if, and it's finding the right problem as well. You've got to find a problem where there might be a multiplicity of solutions and really you're not always marking their solution but you're marking um, their demonstration of, of the consideration of the content they need to understand in determining their solution. So sometimes there might be some erroneous Issues or some oversights in their solution, um, and that can be pointed out when we're providing feedback. But really, what we're looking for is their understanding of the content as it's presented in the solution. It's a process they talk basically. You know, what process yeah. did they take in order to get to even if it, even if the, the the
1: end result may not be. Perfect, I guess, but the the way they got there is
0: is what you're looking at more. Yeah, exactly. So we're really looking at the the processes So and that's where that both PBLs um, are maybe a little bit um, distinct from from maybe more traditional approaches to teaching and learning is that we do take consideration into the process um, and having students really think about what they're what they're doing. So at the end of a, a problem that students would engage in, there would be uh, often a stand and deliver type presentation. Um, where they would talk to how they came to a solution and why they feel that solution is the best solution uh, regarding the content. But if, they don't, you know, if they're not considering the content, then they're not being able to demonstrate that they understand it and therefore that's where the marks are. So it, it comes down to good problem crafting but also really good uh, and effective writing of, of rubrics that will um, you know, elicit how well those students have understood the content uh, and made the links and the relationships between the, the content we need them to understand
1: so so on top of having um you know a fairly solid rubric and a fairly solid um you know content foundation before they start the PBL um task is there is there anything else you need to ensure you have a very good approach i mean if i just went into my um into my classroom um uh tomorrow and um you know just started saying okay well this is your this is your problem let's go solve it what what else am I missing? If I just have a good rubric and a good content foundation, what else is missing in there? What else do people need?
0: Yeah, well, th- that's really that's the start. You know, that, that the part we, we kind of have two parts of of that work. You have the the problem craft or the problem crafting and the problem design, uh, which is kind of the one half, and and that's really um, it, it's a hard part, but it's also the easy part. Then there's the um, the uh, the facilitation of supporting students as they work towards a solution, which is really the on-the-ground work. Um, and, and that goes for problem-based learning and it also goes for project-based learning. You, you, you kind of have the two halves of the coin. You have the design of the project or the crafting of the problem um, and the facilitation of, of either. Um, and they're both nuanced and, and uh, challenging in their own right. So what we need to think about, particularly in problem-based learnings, we need to think about uh, what content, students need to know? Are we going to give them a free for all in terms of their inquiry? We want them to inquire into the work, but um, sometimes it might be, uh, we might be limiting the, their inquiry in some respect because we don't want to have them going down rabbit holes. Um, we need to make sure that what they're engaging with, the content they're engaging with is, is appropriate. Um, and we often – we don't want to have them spending three lessons searching for informa- information um, needlessly or, or um, fruitlessly uh, or finding information that we don't want them to have. Um, and then there's the the, the engaging with um, a know and need-to-know process, having them engage with the problem, unpack the problem, what's the problem asking us to do, um, what do I need to know to be able to solve the problem, what do I already know, uh, what inquiry do we need to engage with, how can I have my team – work on this problem collaboratively so we can come up with a solution. Um, And really what we want to do is is engage. We want students, we want to prompt a a sense of cognitive dissonance within the members of the groups. We want them to disagree. We want them to argue. So we want to have a problem uh, and we want to promote uh, questions when we're we're engaging with the groups and facilitating the problem throughout the time that the students are engaged with it. We want to have them um, disagreeing. And we want to have them seeing different points of view. So we want to promote dialogue, re- real dialogue, not talking to one another, not a conversation, but real dialogue around the around the work. And that's where the learning takes place: is when they're arguing with each other over proposed solutions to a problem or aspects of the problem. Um, that's when they're they're going deeper with the learning and they're making further connections. Um, so it, it is quite nuanced, um, and and we do need to be it needs to be quite scaffolded uh, for students, uh, particularly the younger they are. They need a lot more scaffolding around the work um, to, and 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 your role then really uh, facilitate is not a great word. Activator might be a better word um, because we're activating. their learning uh, rather than just we're not facilitating walking around and, and making sure people are on task or are accessing resources, but where they're challenging their assumptions, where they're posing questions, asking them why they think they're right, asking whether they've considered other points of view, um, asking them whether they've engaged with, with – uh, certain aspects of particular resources so the role of the teacher I think this was one of my issues when I moved into this kind of 21st century learning out of a a very traditional model I kind of thought that once you design the problem or you uh, or you built the project and and put it all together your role was done and everything was left over to the kids and I think that's a a perception that comes across in uh, in in some classrooms where teachers are experimenting with these kind of approaches where they think that I've designed the problem now it's over to the kids but that's really where the hard work of the teacher comes in and in, um, in facilitating the learning or activating the learning uh, of the students.
1: Now, on top of the, the PBL approach utilised at your last school, you're also quite heavily involved in flipped learning as well.
0: Yeah, yeah. So I've got some some experience with, with flipped learning. Um, in, in the same context in in uh, the school I was at, we flipped uh, the HSC year uh, for every subject, um, mindful of the fact that we will, uh, we didn't think we will Doing justice to the um to the time that we had with the students because we were giving them a lot of content in class and we thought there's got to be a better way of having kids um uh, engage with content and, and use their time more effectively in class and us giving content and, and reading reading information and taking notes and and those sorts of things it was we we saw it as a bit of a poor use of our time um, when we have such a limited amount of time with our HSC students and we also were mindful that they weren't Uh, very good at doing homework often Um, so we wanted to promote a culture where they did meaningful homework Um, uh, and also uh, what we found was students when we did set homework would go home and find it very difficult to do so they didn't have someone there to support them with their work. Um, Particularly that school we had a lot of parents who were working very hard, um, both both parents were often working. Both parents often had two jobs to support them in living in Sydney. Um, sometimes um, with the, the cultural backgrounds, there were students whose who's parents um, didn't speak a lot of English. So they, they found it very difficult to support uh, their their uh, child with their homework. Um, so students were, were struggling with it. So we wanted to provide a way where they could... Um, access the homework at a, in a different way and then utilise their time in the classroom far more effectively. So, and now you, you you did combine the flipped learning approach with the
1: PBL approach for seniors, I believe.
0: Uh, for year 11, uh, yeah, that was um, an initiative that we, we brought in um, where we uh, flipped an aspect of um, of the problem-based learning work in year 11, um, and that was to help support the acquisition of that content knowledge Um prior to engaging with the problem. Um, so they had a, a good lesson where, where they engage with, um, with the, the learning through a flipped approach uh, engage with direct instruction, which I think is is another missing ingredient with project-based learning. That people I think think or have the assumption that project and problem-based learning there shouldn't be any direct instruction, and that's a myth. Um, there should be direct instruction, particularly in the early phases of problems and projects, um, at, at points of need. Uh, perhaps not as much as in a traditional classroom, but there's still a place for it. But that flip um, enabled us to to build a culture of um, of engaging in that flipped learning process prior to year 12 but also to um, to better prepare students to undertake the problem um, and also some of the schools I'm working with up here in the northern rivers uh, are doing some wonderful work where um, you know there's a year seven uh, as a school I'm working with uh, that uh, have a year 7 cohort engaged in uh, project-based learning um, in uh, in religious education and they they do um, a flipped lesson uh, often before they have their their actual lesson of RE. So they, they a very, very short amount of homework, uh, probably less than they'd be given in, in most other subjects, um, just to engage with core aspects of the content that they'll be engaging with in the lesson itself. So it just gives them something to touch base with. They might have watched a short, short two or three-minute video and, and answered a couple of questions, or they might have gone through a slide deck or done some reading. Um, and they come in just with a little bit more of a sense of, of what, of what the work's going to be um, in those classes. So I think uh, there's, a, there's a benefit to, to using both pedagogies there and I think, um, you know, the, if you look at um, Sams and Bergman and, and, and their trage- trajectory over the four years that they engaged in, in schools in flip learning, they ended up at project-based learning. Um, after starting they started with flip learning with nothing else and then they moved into um, in, uh, they moved into I think uh, a mastery based approach and then they moved into inquiry and ended up at, at project-based learning because they saw that, that the flip learning or the flip of flip learning provides you with just uh, so much more time to engage in meaningful pedagogy and the benefits of in- engaging in, um, in group working and in collaboration and in inquiry are so important that um, uh, that I think there is a, there's a great marriage. Possible between flip learning and, and both the PPLs there. All
1: right, now I'd like to move into looking at some actual specific um, tips or strategies that uh, any teachers can actually use. Um, I'd like to also add in that if, if people listening aren't RE teachers, you know, don't switch off. There are a lot of people that don't teach RE or. Um, you know it might be in the public system or might be anti-RE in the first place or whatever it might be um a lot of these strategies and you know can be used for a lot of other half subjects you know history for example or even um a lot of schools are now increasingly teaching philosophy can, can we look at some um some um some specific uh ways that if you were an re teacher you could integrate a pbl uh or a flip learning approach
0: flip learning approach yeah i think um particularly for the for all HASS subjects and. and uh, you know, I flipped ancient history for a number of years and uh, in studies of religion, which, I, you know, a lot of state schools teach as well. Um, you know, I think what we can do, one of the best approaches with, with our flip learning is to, if we introduce the the what in, t- in terms of the content uh, through the flip, that provides us with far more opportunities to, to get the students to understand the how and the why in the classroom, if that makes sense. Um, so starting with, uh, with the flip Making sure students can cover uh, or engage with, uh, you know, key terms, um, uh, definitions of, of certain things, very really at that surface level of, of the knowledge, um, starting at the concept, and, and if they can grasp the concepts before they come into class, and then we can use the, our time in class um, collaboratively to really get students to. Um, uh, to start putting the pieces together and make the connections between the, the concepts, and that's where we move into the from the surface to the deeper levels of learning. Um, and I think that's kind of missed a bit. Sometimes students in flipped learning, they'll they'll engage with content at home, and then they'll come in and they'll be they'll reiterate that. Or, or sometimes we try and go too deep with the content at home uh, too quickly, and and then in class time uh, there's a lot of misconceptions that are already built into their learning. So if we start uh, more at the surface level of knowledge, more at the concept level, um, and particularly in, in the humanities subjects. And then we move into the connections between those concepts as we move into um, into the class space where the teachers are on the ground um, and can support the students with uh, making those connections um, and, and enjoying that just do it collectively. I think we've got a great opportunity. If, if we've got a flipped classroom where kids are doing flipped learning at home individually, and then they're coming into a classroom and doing more work individually, we've missed the boat um, we've got to get them talking, particularly in humanities subjects. So uh, engaging in dialogue, uh, working together, challenging ideas, uh, using um, using protocols and and uh, and discussion techniques to um, to to have students um, debate and argue and and talk through points of, of difference. Uh, that applies as well for uh, for religion as it would for for uh, history and, and geography and, um, and philosophy and, and any other kind of humanity subject. So there, there are a couple of things that I would start with. The other thing I think that's really important is we need to start with our outcomes. I think we can get caught up with um, you know, making flashy videos and I'm as guilty of, of that as any, anyone else. Um, I think we can uh, get a bit caught up in, in, in the technological aspect of it um, and putting together a video uh, and making it sort of whiz-bang is great, but um, is that the best thing for the learning? And I think uh, with humanities, you know, is a video always necessary? Um, you know, we're, we're quite often a, a verbal or a written subject, so I think there's uh, absolutely a possibility and, and even a, um, opportunities to have students engage with, with the written word um, in the flip itself and then, um, and then spending time in, in class unpacking that kind of work as well. So there are a couple of things that I would uh, that I'd sort of suggest around that, and, and connect yourself with other people who are doing it and who've been doing it for a while. Um, you know, we live in an age where um, everyone's just a click away, so there's there's great communities of people who are sharing resources on Twitter and on on Facebook. So um, get in touch with those kinds of people and, and uh, see what they're doing and share ideas.
1: Yeah, and look, I've, I've um, I, I flip um, business studies in stage six um, and studies of religion as well in stage six and. Um, would you find? Would you say that in within studies of religion or the RE field that there are certain things where it is easier or harder to use a flip learning approach? Because I definitely found that there were some elements of the studies of religion course, which is which is a very academic course, by the way. It's not, um, you know, as a lot of uh, a lot of people might uh, might hear about it and think, oh, it's just a whole bunch of you know happy clappy stuff. You know, you're reading from the Bible, that sort of. Well, mm. no, it's 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 quite rigorous. It's quite a it's quite a heavily academic mm. course. Mm. Um, and I also found that there were some elements that were they they did lend themselves a lot easier to flip learning. There were some elements of it that um, was a bit harder to 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 have them engage at home and then uh, do the um, do some more um, active learning in class because it was just something that really went over their heads, even at a very um, introductory level as it was done in the video. Yeah. Um, is there anything in RE that you find does work really well with that approach? And you probably, sh- you know, because really you don't have to flip every single lesson. That's a mm. thing that a lot of people forget as well, that they hear flip learning and think everything needs to be done. You can flip one, you know, one lesson out of the whole year. That's, you know, you, that, that means you still tried it. Mm. Um, you don't have to flip every single lesson of every single week of every, you know, of every single, you know, dot point of the syllabus. Um, are there any elements um, that you found in RE, uh, whether it be the junior RE, um, which um, is, is quite different to the, the senior studies of religion, but anything you found that works a lot better with flip learning? Um,
0: and, and uh, yeah, I think it anything work, that works, anything where you're describing a process, for example. So if you're if you're teaching, um, you know, um, if you're teaching, for example, Jewish marriage to to. Students who are predominantly not Jewish, then uh, there's a lot of uh, uh, there's a lot of things that they need to understand for that. So I think um, uh, you know a great way to start with that would be to take some of the, the key uh, Hebrew terms that students need to understand, and you could uh, have a short video explaining you know what these these are just providing definitions of them. Um, and uh, have a little sort of feedback quiz to see how well they understand that and perhaps even follow that up in, in the classroom with the quiz to see how well they understood it before we even move into what their role is in the actual um, marriage ceremony itself. So starting with those those base level concept types of things I think are easier, but when we start moving into um, some of the, the scriptural and theological underpinnings of, of, uh, of why some of these things are significant, that's harder to flip and, and sometimes those things are, are better uh, better left where the teachers there uh, to, to engage in more of a discussion with the students or to engage in in material where student, they're, they're more readily teachers are more readily available to answer questions at a point of need um, so but yeah there are some things uh, ethical issues are far harder to to work through I think through a video than they would be. Um, you know, in the classroom. But I think there, is, there are some things that you can still flip. So just the, if, we, if we step back that little bit and go, what concepts am I trying to get across here? And then how can I, um, how can I go into more depth of that and make the connections in the classroom? Uh, but certainly, like, if, if you're scratching your head going, how am I going to flip this? Then you've just answered your question. Or not, you just don't. Um, you know, th- there are some things that, that, um, that don't lend themselves to, to that approach as, as readily as others do. Yeah, and I, I do
1: agree as well. The, the the ethics does seem to be the hardest one to flip. I mean, I um I have created a video for it just, but it's more of an introductory. Uh, this is what ethics is, and this is where we sort of draw it. For, uh, you know, we draw our ethics from. Um, but you're right; there are a lot of those um, ideas in in ethical um, yeah. debate that you can't do it as a as a flip video, or even if it was just a reading, not a video. It's it's a lot harder to do because it is something that could be facilitated a lot better in class as, a, you know, the, the first time the, the, the students, um, you know, hear it or see it is in that controlled yes. environment where you can set some ground rules in terms of, you know, everyone's got their own opinion, everyone's correct in their own way, but we've got to be respectful of everyone's ideas about ethical approaches, and that's something you can't really do in a video.
0: Yeah, exactly, and we can you can probably manage that uh- yeah, that experience a little bit better in that environment um, rather than, than launching straight into it. Another example would be um, uh, I used to teach uh, the Jewish philosopher Martin Buber. Um, and we would flip an introduction to Martin Buber, you know, a, a bit of a video intro to his life, his background, his context, where he was born, his influences, all of those sorts of things. And that was easy. Uh, Kid came in with a very good understanding of that and we could debate and argue and, and talk a bit more and ask questions. What does it mean that he, he had Hasidic influences? I don't understand that. What, what questions could be asked? Are there other resources around that? Uh, but when we got to understanding his philosophy of dialogue, which is a quite a complex, um, um, you yeah, uh, know, element that underpinned his philosophy in relation to education and interfaith dialogue and all these other aspects. Um, we, We tried to flip that. And the kids would invariably come in with uh, more confused than than if we taught that as as a standard lesson. So we, we learned from that and said, Well let's just, you know, watch the video if you want to watch the video, but it's not compulsory. Come in and we'll we'll work on this stuff tomorrow because uh, you know, we needed to to be there to explain it. And then that's where you, your differentiation comes in too, because some kids will watch the video and go, Yep, yeah, get it, I'm right. And as long as they can articulate that to you, then you can spend more time with those students who do find those um those really challenging um concepts hard and you can uh, do the work with them. But, yeah, I think just um, if your intuition is telling you that this isn't working um, or, or it might not work, then um, then maybe maybe listen to that um, and uh, try another approach. You know, we, We've got a wealth of teaching approaches at our fingertips. We don't need to sort of lock ourselves into one because we've decided I'm a flip teacher or I'm a, I'm a PBL teacher or, or whatever.
1: Yeah, now um, touching back on PBL, we've looked at flip learning and RA. How would you – are there any strategies or any um, any ideas you can give people about how to integrate a, a, a problem or a project based learning approach to RE as well? I, I do remember seeing on your Twitter a, quite a while ago um, doing the, um, oh, if I recall, it was laser cut light boxes. Oh yeah, yeah,
0: tunnel books they were. Yeah. yeah.
1: Any any ideas you can give to people about you know how they can integrate a PBL approach to RE as well? Because again, it doesn't seem like one where you yeah, know, you look at it and think, oh, I can get a you know, how can you get a project out of religion or how can you, you know, what kind of problem could you really you can't really get them to um you know, to analyze um, you know, something in in religion because that just ends up opening uh, more questions than, than 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 um than anything else. So how can you integrate a PBL approach into R A?
0: Yeah, well you know I think um Probably the difference today compared to say 20 years ago when we were teaching RE uh, is the wealth of resources that we have available to us. Well, it's 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 a benefit and also a hindrance because there's a lot of stuff on the internet that we that that you know is, is questionable. But um, you know I think we now have an opportunity in religious education where we can have students engage in sustained inquiry and in quality inquiry within a framework within some boundaries. Um, so they can inc- we don't have to come out and say. Here, for example, from a a, a Catholic point of view, we don't have to come out and say, here's what the church teaches. Students can find what the church teaches. And that's our role as classroom teachers is to ensure that the information they're using is accurate and correct and that they're interpreting it properly uh, and maintaining that rigor and and, uh, and that um, that source of truth, I guess. Um, But we can still engage in that inquiry process Um, and we can still talk about some of these issues that are challenging um, and, and we can design... Projects that help students to put uh, what can sometimes be abstract um, understandings into more concrete situations. So, and that's what PBL is designed to do in general is to is to put. Um, is to put the, the meaningless into the meaningful, is to give students a, an understanding of how this fits into the real world um, to make it authentic. Um, so that, the, the project you mentioned was uh, done by a wonderful colleague or ex-colleague and, uh, of mine called Gina Mari. She's an art teacher who who designs beautiful religious education and his, his um, uh, and art PBL projects. And uh, so that was uh, having an understanding of, of scripture and uh, but also integrating art and um, and uh, technology, so students collaboratively designed or reappropriated. Um, um, I think they might have been looking at um, at uh, the passion, death, and resurrection of Jesus. So they were looking at um, elements of um, of that narrative and. Uh, and stations of the cross and reappropriate them, reappropriating them and then laser cutting them into these tunnel books, which are. Uh, but it was incredibly complex, and when when you heard those students talking to their work. Uh, the tunnel book or the end product itself wasn't representative of all their work. They had a really good understanding of, of what they were trying to achieve in their work, and and more to the point, they had a really good understanding of the outcomes we wanted them to achieve. Uh, and I think that's that's the other challenge with it too is we need to we need to maintain our outcomes and our academic integrity with project based learning. Um, you know, I've seen a lot of projects where sometimes uh, there's a lot of fantastic end products which are very impressive. But I couldn't, you know, we struggled with some of the outcomes that the students are, are there to actually achieve, um, which we're, we're required to ensure that they do achieve. But um, I think um, project-based learning provides opportunity, like so many opportunities for students to engage in, in real-world work. Um, a colleague was designing um, a, uh, a year eight PBL project uh, where students were looking at the early martyrs and witnesses to the Catholic faith, uh, and uh, and the challenges that they faced um, in the early church, um, and and the end product for that was that they were they were um, designing, scripting, filming, and presenting a uh, like a modern newsday segment, uh, looking back at the the witnesses and, and martyrs to the faith and the lessons that they learned and how to apply that in a modern context where we have um, a number of Christians being persecuted around the world. So, what lessons can we learn from them to give heart to those people in, in uh, countries overseas, in Africa and uh, and uh, uh, the Middle East, who are experiencing persecution at the moment? So, that was a real life context uh, where they're taking the learnings and, and really applying it to a, a a real context as well. And also, I think involving. Um, involving the clergy, involving the church, I think is a wonderful thing too, involving um, people to come in as critical friends and as as, uh, assessors. We had a a project years ago uh, looking at images of Jesus and students would would create digital images of Jesus and, uh, and then later on when the project evolved into artistic images of Jesus, but they had to have a really clear understanding of the representation they were presenting and what artistic style it was in and what portrayal of Jesus they were they were representing um, and they put together art galleries in groups and then we would have uh, um, art experts or artists um, or religious experts come in and, and judge those pieces of work as well. Um, so putting it in a, in a real life context where students can see how their learning um, can and does apply to the, to the real world today.
1: All right, um, we're, we're nearing the end and um, end of this episode, Curt. And this has all been fantastic. Um, if anyone were to start PBL or flip learning in their RE or or or, um, or hassle or classroom tomorrow, what what advice would you give them? Someone comes to you, knocks, you know, comes to your desk, knocks on your office door, um, you know, knocks on your classroom door or whatever it might be and says, Kurt, I'm really, you know, I really want to do something different. I want to do something engaging. I want to do something, um, you know, that that's going to wow kids and make it really worthwhile and authentic for them. What
0: would you say? Yeah, um, I'd say make sure you're really well-informed about what you're doing. There's a lot of key key elements of uh, project-based learning or problem-based learning that um, that we need to have a, a good grasp on, um, you know, almost the non-negotiables of, of project-based learning that, that should be there for a project to be effective and, and techniques and, and approaches to, um, to designing effective problems or, or projects. So I would start by, uh, I'd recommend some resources. So I'd say um, uh, the Buck Institute for Education is a great one out of the United States. It's one of the big, uh, uh, big, uh, education agencies over there uh, that look at student-focused learning or student-centred learning. Um, so I'd go to their website, bie.org um, and probably one book from them I would recommend would be the the book Setting the Standard for Project-Based Learning. Um, it's a it's a terrific read, gives you a good uh, overview of the different elements of project-based learning, why they're important, how they should work um, and they've got resources on their website in regards to how to design an effective project as well as a bunch of example projects to, to give you a starting point and some um, inspiration um expeditionary expeditionary learning out of the united states is another one of their organizations that um, focuses on pbl i think they're uh, el learning now i think they're called el Uh, but if you google expeditionary learning you'll find them they keep changing their name Uh, new tech network is another organization that has some some free resources online so i'll check them out and uh, another book that's a more recent publication that people should check out is a book called rigorous pbl by design by michael mcdowell he's a uh, he was formerly in the New Tech Network, um, and he, uh, which is a PBL organisation, uh, He's now on his own, and he, he's written this book, which is a, a terrific read, taking in the, you know, Hattie's research and how um, how we can apply that into PBL classroom to ensure that what we are producing are really academically rigorous projects that really demonstrate um, student learning and meet outcomes. Um, the other thing I'd say would be um, get onto Twitter uh, if you're not on Twitter and you're a teacher. And you listen if you're listening to a podcast and you're a teacher, then jump on to um, Twitter and uh, jump on on there and, and get yourself an account. Have a look at hashtags PBL and PBL chat. Uh, and find people who are tweeting there and follow them. Uh, Bianca and Lee Hughes, you should follow. Um, follow me if you like. I tweet a little bit about project-based learning. Uh, Gavin Hayes from Parramatta is a great person to follow as well. Gav Hayes uh, is his, um, is his uh, hashtag, yourself, Marco, as well. Uh, there's also the Australian PBL Network um, on Facebook if you're a Facebooker. Uh, and that's a great network network of um, over a thousand Pbl teachers run by BNQs. Hughes so if you get yourself informed get yourself in a network and ask lots of questions um, is is what what I'd say the other thing I'd say too is you can't break it um, you know have a go and, and most likely things won't go to plan and things won't work and, and kids won't know how to work in groups and parts of the project won't Will fail, and we'll have grand ideas about what students will produce, and they won't probably get there because it's all a learning process. But it doesn't mean that the kids will will have been disadvantaged because things haven't gone um, to plan. Um, some of the, the the projects where students haven't haven't done as well, in my experience, are their favourite project because they've had more learning. Um, you know, and I think um, anything that we can do to get kids collaborating, um, thinking critically, and and uh, uh, and uh, and engaging with the content in some kind of real way, uh, I think is a benefit um, and you know, ref- be reflective of your own practice. Um, just because things didn't work doesn't mean that uh, uh, the, the project is to blame. You know, it just means we've got to do more learning and and uh, reflect on on what went wrong and, and what, what are we going to change for next time.
1: Exactly. Have a go. I mean, if, if we're going to stand at the front of a classroom or – um, you know, keep drilling into students that it's okay to fail and you've got to keep trying and get back up if it fails and we should be able to model that as well in, a, in our teaching approach as well.
0: 100%. 100%. Absolutely.
1: All right. Well, um, Kurt, thank you very, very much for giving up uh, your valuable time to have a chat to us here um, about PBL, flip learning and RE. Um,
0: any final words? Uh, no, thanks for having me, Marco. And uh, it's awesome that uh, there are uh, some Australian educators uh, sharing ideas like yourself, um, and uh, and getting other people um, on board to 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 you know I think share what we're doing as Australian educators. We I think we we are uh, one of the leaders globally in uh, in new ways of thinking about education. And, and thank you for the work you're doing in promoting that, mate.
1: Thank you. Well, hopefully we can have you um, back again uh, at some stage. Um, until then, thank you very much, Kurt.
0: Thank you very much, Marco. Good on you, mate. Thank you for listening.
1: To continue the conversation, find us on Twitter at hashtag housechat. Hash
0: this podcast is part of the Australian Educators Online Network.